Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In November 1963, I was privileged to be a member of a small group, some 12 of us, theological students who had been invited to go to Czechoslovakia, as it then was, and to stay in Prague and to see how the churches there were getting on under communism. Naturally, before we went and while we were there, we uh, were told by our leader to be very careful what we said and what we did and what, where we went. That was with one exception. We were invited to meet government ministers and we were told that it was a no-holds-barred meeting. Ask them what you like was the instruction. And so we did. And I had a question that I put to them, and it went like this. Can you tell me about any bad people who, through the influence of communism, have been made into good people? Well, there was a pause, and then one of the uh, ministers said, uh, No. So then I said, well, I can tell you of people who, through the power of Christian faith, have been bad people and have become good people. No comment. They went on to the next question. Now, I think it's very, very significant that this wonderful subject for tonight has been given to us. 
I've been wanting to preach on this subject for a long time. And when I was asked if I could do a sermon in the series that we are doing at the moment and was given the date and it was an evening service and I was told the subject is Jesus changes people, I was absolutely thrilled. I could tell you about people and I'm going to. One person in particular I can think of, when I was in my third year at Spurgeon's College, a new student arrived, his name was uh, Vic Jacobson, and I discovered that he had been a burglar. He had been sent to Winchester Jail, and there he was visited by Christians, and he had been gloriously converted. And uh, eventually he decided he would go into the ministry And that ministry was wonderfully blessed. And uh, as part of that ministry, he uh, used to go to the Ukraine and minister to prisoners. And uh, many of them were converted and baptized. And uh, as they don't have baptistries in Russian prisons, he used to use great big oil barrels, which he filled with water. And he used to push them under the water to baptize them. Wonderful, wonderful story of how Jesus changes people and changes other people through those whom he has changed. Now the fact is that Jesus changed people in the days of his earthly ministry and he's been doing it ever since and he's doing it today. He did it for Zacchaeus as we read. He did it for Saul the persecutor. And he did it for many, many others that we read about in the pages of Scripture. Now I want to take out of Ephesians chapter 1 three key words which talk about this change that is wrought by Jesus when he comes into people's lives. And here is the first word. It's the word adopted. In Ephesians 1 verse 5, adopted as children through Jesus Christ. Now as you, many of you will know, I have personal experience of adoption because uh, two of our grandchildren are adopted and during my years in the Christian ministry I have seen a number of adopted children and uh, it's been a great interest to me. Uh, to see, particularly in Christian families, how adopted children develop. There was one young boy in uh, our church in Birmingham that I remember vividly. His name was Russell. And uh, he was about nine or ten years old. Absolutely delightful boy, incredibly polite. A church member said to me, you should have seen him when he was first adopted absolutely wild. He had lovely parents, adopting parents, and they had done wonders for him. But it was obviously in a context of a Christian church, a Christian family, and he was changed. The whole point of adoption, of course, is that you take children from an environment which is likely to be detrimental to their development or even worse, and you take them into an environment 
where they are likely to flourish. Now, when Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, adoption was widely practiced at that time in the ancient world. The idea of Christians being like adopted children would have been well understood by Paul's readers when they read this letter. That to become a Christian is to be adopted into a relationship with Christ and into a community where we can certainly flourish because Jesus changes people for the better. A wonderful account in a recent edition of the Leprosy Mission magazine that particularly struck me, a young man called Elisha in India, whose parents died when sadly he was only seven years old and he went to live with his grandmother. But even more sadly, he developed leprosy and soon experienced rejection by his family. Fortunately, he was eventually told about a leprosy hospital where he was treated successfully. But of course, he learned there about Jesus and became a Christian. And that young man, now grown up, is so grateful that he's now the pastor of a leprosy colony, helping those affected by leprosy in whatever way he can claiming disability benefits, pensions, ration cards, and enabling their children to attend school. And what it shows me, and I'm sure it shows you as well, is that Jesus doesn't simply transform people, but he transforms the lives of others through those whom he has already transformed, even though these people have not yet become Christians. Another clear example of this is our friend Cali Magalhães in Brazil, one of our linked missionaries for whom we have prayed tonight. Having been transformed herself by the power of Christ, she's now working to transform the lives of street children and uh, prison children in uh, Sao Paulo. And a recent email from her spoke of a young man who has just started training as a pharmacist having been one of the youth prisoners that she has been visiting. This is wonderful. Now we need to bear in mind that the change Jesus makes in people's lives is not just at the beginning of the decision to follow Christ. It's a continuing process. And in the uh, second and third parts of my sermon... I want to talk uh, about the change that Jesus wants to make in our lives as we go on in the Christian life. So my second main point is the word faithful. And in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now this word translated faithful in the New International Version can actually have two meanings. Some Bible commentators think it means believing and some Bible commentators think it means faithful and some Bible commentators think it means both at once. And I'm going to go with that third group of commentators. I think this word really does indicate that when we become believers, Jesus is calling us to be faithful to him 
and to change throughout our lives. Because we were called to believe in Jesus, are called to be faithful. And that is a lifelong commitment, and it requires growth. And that's why the picture is one of growth. Now, of course, growing and persevering means not giving up. And I tell you a shameless full story about myself that went deep with me and taught me a very valuable lesson for life. This was my last year at secondary school, and it was the sports day, and I had been entered for the mile race. I was very keen at that time on long-distance running, cross-country and so on. And um, during the first uh, three laps, uh, I uh, did my very best. Uh, but I decided after three laps that I was never going to get anywhere near the front. And so I eased off and finished the race, I don't know, a long way down anyway, the list of finishers. And I walked off the track. One of the parents of the school, and it was an open sports day that the parents had been uh, invited to, came up to me and he said this. He said, I don't understand you. He said, you were doing really well in that race and you suddenly eased off. I didn't have the courage to tell him what had been going on in my mind, but I can tell you that I learned a very valuable lesson for life. You see, in the race for being a Christian, we're not expected to come first, but we are called to complete in style, if I can put it like that. Now, how do we grow as Christians? On top of the list, I would put regular attendance at church worship so that we can be with other Christians, incredibly valuable to us. Regular habits of daily Bible reading and prayer. Reading Christian books. book I'm reading at the moment by the editor of Christianity magazine uh, called Unbelievable. Uh, it's about how he has interviewed a, a very large number of atheists and agnostics during his time as a radio presenter and how he still is a believer in Jesus Christ. It's uh, a good book. I recommend it and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Being in a big church, of course, means that if we can be part of a small group, that is very helpful as well. Being part of a prayer triplet also helps many people. And attending Christian conferences and celebrations like the Keswick Convention and Spring Harvest and others help many people indeed. There's an old saying. Now, I know that picture is not of uh, a, uh, an oak tree and a, an acorn, but there is an old saying that says, and the picture illustrates at least uh, with another tree, from little acorns, mighty oak trees grow. And from beginnings of Christians with small faith who can commit themselves to growing for Jesus, 
wonderful things happen and growth happens. And my third and final point is the word saints. In Ephesians chapter 1, to the saints in Ephesus. Ephesus. Now our church treasurer in our church in Harston in South Cambridgeshire had a very wicked sense of humour. And on those occasions when the church secretary was not giving out the notices and the church treasurer did so, he always began in this way. He would say, today is the feast day of Saint, and then he would name some obscure saint that nobody had ever heard of. I'd like to tell you that today, the 20th of August, is the feast day of Saint Oswin of Northumbria and Saint Philibert of Noirmoutier in France. I hadn't heard of either of them. Now, of course, this whole idea of saints and saints' days comes from the Catholic tradition in the Christian church. It's not part of our Baptist tradition at all. And uh, frequently you see these saints portrayed in stained glass windows in great beauty, and the impression is given that these are super special Christians, very holy people, almost superhuman. But if we go back to the basic Bible meaning of the word saint, it simply means somebody who is dedicated to God. But again there is this implication that the Lord Jesus expects us who are saints because we have committed our lives to God. He expects us to be saintly. And that, I suppose, that is a tall order. And what we need to know is this, that Jesus accepts us as we are, but he doesn't want to leave us as we are. I remember some years ago there was a fashion for wearing, I think it was badges, it may even have been sort of slogans on T-shirts, um, which, which went like this, be patient, the Lord hasn't finished with me yet. And I think it's very wise. No, it's a lifelong process. But what does it involve? Well, it involves prayer. And this is why I have shown the picture of praying hands on the screen. And what shall we be praying for to grow? Why? We pray that we may be saintly and we pray for a mature conscience, a strong sense of right and wrong. Pray to be less less self-centred and more other people-centred. Pray for a deeper understanding of what kind of person Jesus is and was and pray that we may be truly more like Christ, that we may be in Christ and he in us. Why bother with Jesus? Because he changes people. Does he really change people? Yes, he does. He changes people from unbelievers into believers, and he changes believers into saintly saints.
Jesus, you are changing me. By your spirit, you're making me like you. You are the potter and I am the clay. Help me to be willing to let you have your way. Jesus, you are changing me as I let you reign supreme within my heart. I repeat that, as I let you reign supreme within my heart. That is the secret.